Hello and welcome to Future Thinking with Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Brand Engagement and Multimedia Strategy at Stylus. In this episode, we're going to be discussing responses to Black Lives Matter from brands and the media and explore what systemic change needs to happen across the board. To discuss this, I'm joined by Ernest Owens, journalist and writer at large for Philadelphia magazine, who recently landed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and Amber Davis, previously advisory strategist at Stylus, but who has left us sadly for greater things at Vox Media, where she is now director of creative strategy. Welcome to you both. So Ernest, I'd like to start with you. Um, I was reading a recent piece from you in Philly Mag, where you talk about ally culture and how it's a in your words, vapid solutions to the problem of systemic racism. And a lot of the people listening to this um, will be working in brands who may have signaled support for Black Lives Matter in small ways or big ways, but most will probably fall under that ban banner of allyship. Um, so why do you think it's not enough and what sort of action should they be focusing on instead? Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Um, there, For many years, I mean, even dating back to 2015, there has been many... Um, variations of people critiquing um, do allies um, even exist. Several Black activists um, that have been on the ground in places like Ferguson and beyond, um, even Black women activists such as Feminista Jones and others have been speaking about um, this question around allies. And so my sentiments have followed a wave of others before me. And as I continue to think about the conversation even now, this role of um, people, white people specifically, performing this in service um, concept of you know being in support and what does that even mean? Um, there's been a lot of uh, people who've kind of embraced the term and kind of have self-designated themselves as allies and and people who are you know against racial injustice. But um, you know there has been many others, including myself, who've been a little critical about that. Like what does that mean um, when you self-designate yourself the solution to the problem that you're you've basically have perpetuated? You know, racism is a white person's problem. It's something that they have systemically and socially benefited from. And, you know, to now put yourself in the role of saying you're going to be the fixer and the savior of such, it's really um, complicated, especially as a Black queer person who hear people call themselves allies in the LGBTQ community um, as cishet people. And then you have people who are in the Black community that are, you know, who are white people who say in, in these spaces that they are allies to Black issues. And, you know, for me, I wonder what does it look like in a world where white people are the problem, but then also want to be the hero and villain in the story against racial injustice. And that is something that I personally um, have wrestle with in my mind when when people use the term allies amber obviously you know brands want to do something i mean you know the the opposite of allyship isn't silence is it it's it's actually you know making a proper you know change within and making proper positive impact without um is there are there things that can be done that, that go beyond mere allyship or ha what have you seen? Uh, I would say there are definitely things that have to be done. Um, I think if people stop thinking of themselves, both individuals and brands as um, allies and more as like co-conspirators, um, people who are also putting themselves on the line versus standing by and saying they are in support of. Um, I think we saw in a lot of the reactions to the black background white text um, statements that have been put out over the last few weeks, 
uh, from companies that neither have the standing nor the record to really lay claim to any kind of solidarity. Um, and some of the reactions to that have been instructive. Um, if you're someone who's watching what companies do, people have basically stood up and said, okay, but why are you treating your workers like this? What are you doing about environmental racism? Peloton, where are your products being manufactured? Are they being manufactured in areas where there's off-gassing that's contributing to environmental racism? It's sort of like they have popped their heads up and been met with a lot of critiques that they can either take in and use to make change, do something. That's the aspect of um, anything that you would call allyship that is meaningful and anything else is just lip service. It's sort of like calling attention to oneself in order to get a certain amount of kudos in a moment and then hoping that people will forget about the other things that you may be doing or have done that are not contributory. Um, so it's quite easy to speak out of both sides of your mouth, um, but it's really important that you don't behave like a miner that has a super fun site and thinks that they've solved the problem by organizing a beach cleanup, um, that there's a certain amount of scale and uh, kind of self-analysis that needs to come along with any kind of statement of solidarity. Otherwise, it's not just empty, it's hostile. Well, that's an interesting point there at the end, but where you talk about where you say hostile, because I mean, what's 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 been interesting for this moment to happen while all of us are locked down and perhaps more online than we normally would be, is that the scrutiny that that everyone's coming under from a from a perspective of what the response might be is is very strong because everybody is you know spending a lot of time uh, reading about this, thinking about it, talking about it. Um, I guess, I guess the the typical. I mean, there are, there are typical responses from brands to this kind of thing. We saw it the first time round with Ferguson. You know, there were there were again brand responses. This time round, you're not going to be able to just, as you say, do something basic because all eyes are are on you. Would would you would you say that's correct? I, I mean, I hope so. I think that COVID was definitely, it served as like a primer for what could follow you making any kind of declarations of being with someone. So a company like Walmart standing up and saying, we support our employees, we're here for them, we're doing everything to make things safe. And then very quickly finding people on Twitter talking about how a Walmart worker was spit on or they're not being protected at um, the cashier level or they're not being provided with PPE. It's sort of like there was already a system and a number of people who were, whether they, because they were idle or they're always invested in kind of labor issues, were ready to look and kind of check the work of the companies that are making these claims. Um, one thing I will say is that companies that have had this pushback, um, there's been less uh, immediately defense and a little bit more self-analysis um, than before. And I, I think like that gives me a certain amount of hope, um, but I think that ultimately it will be activists and policymakers holding their feet to the fire that makes a difference and not anything that comes from within, unless it's baked into their values. Not everyone is Ben and Jerry's. Um, not everyone has this baked into their values. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, Ernest, uh, again, in one of your pieces, you, you mentioned um, Reddit's uh, Alexis Ohanian's response. And obviously, Reddit is a, you know, 
it doesn't have those values baked into it, shall we say. Um, nonetheless, that's that was something you called out as a more meaningful response than than and then other brands have been have been giving. I mean, have you seen anything that else that's, that sort of chimes in that way with you, or or is that still an outlier? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, the the you know all of the black boxes and all this allyship performative stuff is really not addressing racism, essentially. I mean, these are all awareness campaigns, but really racism is about power and dismantling power. And when you say the word white supremacy, the word supreme is in that word supremacy, which means white power, which means that if you're trying to combat white supremacy, you're trying to combat white power in various forms. And so when you are a white person and occupy a lot of power institutionally, systemically, and socially, and politically, the only way that you're going to really address racism is that you redistribute that power to the marginalized black and brown people and indigenous people that um, bear claim to it, rightfully so. And so um, what happened at Reddit of a white man stepping down and Brett when requiring and recommending that a person, a black person, which they did find the replacement, um, take that seat. That is an example of redistributing power, stepping down. And not only that, but he is using his stock and his money to go towards Black causes as well. Those are examples. But another example is really at home. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the editor of Philadelphia Magazine, the place that I uh, contribute to in Philadelphia, um, Tom McGrath, who is, the, who is the current editor there, he just recently resigned. Mm. Um, and last day is going to actually be um, towards the end of the summer. And pretty much said that at this point, he stepped down because of reading the piece that I wrote, um, had him thinking about it, which is interesting. But also, too, recognizing that, you know, pretty much his, that, you know, his work as an older, white, straight guy is just not enough. And he's pretty much said that he recommended in his memo that, you know, the next person that takes his um, seat is someone who is not a white, old, straight man. And so that volunteering that stepping up um not being forced out right because that's what happened at the philadelphia inquirer that happened at other publications where people were forced out but taking yourself out not having to do so based on being forced or being shamed into doing it but simply saying i in order to make the change necessary i as a white person have to take myself out the equation in these positions of real power so I think that was another example that, you know, is a personal one that I just witnessed and listening to black people and listening to other black and brown voices. Um, I think that is the kind of, um, you know, co-conspiratorship that I think white people need to model after um, because too busy, they want to be front and center in a movement that isn't about them. You know, they want to be still wagging. You know, I think Bernice King was talking about this, but saying, a seat, let's give more Black people a seat at our table, you know, she discussed on a tweet that that pretty much implies the white power is still there. So if you're able to dictate how many Black people can sit there and be a part of it, then you're recognizing everyone else's that power is only inviting people rather than dismantling. And so companies and brands have to be mindful about how they are in their own institutions doing more than just talking, like Amber said, and giving lip service, but how they are creating a structural change. And that's going to take more work than just a social media post or a public statement. It's going to take more work. 
Amber, are these these conversations going on at, at Vox Media? Um, I mean, you are. Yeah. <laughs> you, is it what kind of what kind of um, uh, what kind of environment is it in terms of you know seeking this structural change? Um, there's definitely a lot of awareness of um, like the whiteness of the executive team. Um, and a lot of conversations as a lot of the, the stepping aside has happened in media. So much of it has happened in media. Um, some voluntarily, some not so much. Uh, that when we're talking about, um, when internally there have been conversations about kind of voices and who's in the room, um, there's always, it's always like, let's make the room bigger versus like, let's keep the room the same size. But maybe there are some people who should step out. Um, a podcast that I've been listening to since its inception in like 2006 finally had a conversation about like, let's consider that we are three white people sitting around a table talking about um, the entirety of politics in the United States. This is the Slate Political Gab Fest and whether or not it should be so. It's like we bring people on, but like who would step out? Like who would we swap out? Um, and it is, as Ernest said, like, the making room for people, that that is when, in some cases, you run up against a wall, because it's very easy to talk about um, empowerment when it doesn't mean you giving up any power, um, and like making room and hearing other voices when you still get to talk. And there are lots of cases where the best thing to do is to like give yourself the boot and do something else and let someone else take over because you may have an understanding that you are not the person to solve this particular problem because you made it, you institutionalized it, you've supported it, and perhaps it's time for a fresh start. Um, I will say Vox has been very self-critical um, and also there's been a lot of sharing of, of articles that were written on different parts of Vox to remind people of kind of like a thing they may be doing or a thing they should be thinking about. Um, so it's kind of interesting when you can use the work of your colleagues to make a point you don't want to be bothered to make. Um, but in media in general, it's, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of attention there. Um, but the thought of like Anna Wintour having some sort of revelation and she had no idea and now everything has changed. It's just very difficult to believe. And I think everyone should be quite skeptical of that considering the number of people that have been trying to have these conversations. Um, but I'm optimistic that the fact that people are stepping aside is we're seeing another um, solution to the problem or getting towards the problem. Um, and that is for some people to like give room to someone else. And does that impetus have to come from them, do you think? Or is that something that, that you know, can be encouraged from without, shall we say? I mean, obviously, you know, there is pushback from various places when it comes to business anyway, um, about how to, how to approach this without alienating other audiences that are important to the brand. Now, regardless of whether that's a worthwhile point, and I don't think it is personally, um, it is nonetheless something that CEOs think about, marketing people think about. Um, you know, just yesterday we had the Premier League here in the UK returning to the pitch with with BLM on their on their shirts. You know, for for a fusty old organisation like uh, like Premier League, it was a fairly big deal. Um, inevitably, 
they've annoyed a huge swathe of essentially racist football fans. Yep. People who wouldn't think themselves racist, but, you know, are, are very much part of that every life matters kind of sensibility. Um, now, that probably won't do a huge amount of damage to the Premier League, but they are, they are because they are a huge established brand making massive, massive amounts of money. Um, you know, and on the flip side, you've got Chick-fil-A today with, with their news and, you know, on the, on the other side, and they don't care either. Um, but there are brands that do worry about this stuff, not only because their audience may be not of the same opinion, but also because they don't want to, to make mistakes. Um, they don't want to try and fail, I guess. Um, so I suppose after that long spiel, my question is, you know, do, do you understand that fear? Is it a fear that's worth, worth understanding? And if so, what can be done to, to sort of help from your perspective? Ernest, what do you, what do you think about this? Well, I think that's part of the problem. Therein lies the problem. I think that if you recognize that you're doing the right thing, right? If, the, if, the, if we recognize that racism is a very disgusting stain in our human society, and that it is a human rights violation of, of some of the highest magnitude, if we recognize that to be the problem, anything that is fighting and combating that should be the goal at the end of the day. I think when you are worried about ruffling feathers or alienating, who are you alienating in the fight against racism? And if it is racism <clears throat> and protecting races, which means that you're enabling and co-signing and endorsing subconsciously or un unconsciously, co-signing racist. And so I think that there's a time for companies to have to reflect on what is the audience and what is the audience that they want to you know, embrace. And if money means continuing the same bigotry and co-signing of a racist audience, then you are perpetuating the very problem that led us to this point in the first place. So companies have to, if they're really serious about this, they can't think about, well, what about the racist people that we support? Well, those are the people that's a part of the problem. And I think when I hear companies and people say that we don't want to alienate people, let's be pronounced. You don't want to alienate racists, which means that you are okay with profiting off of racists. And then your company is a problem. And so when riots happen, right, and people say, oh, don't burn down that building or don't do this, don't do that, and, and people wonder why are people invested some protesters and anarchists and activists are interested in burning down the system is because there are systems that are complicit with the violence the bigotry the white supremacy and even though they don't put a kkk flag or a confederate flag on their door they are creating environments that protect and enable racists to persist and so to me, there's no black or there is a black and white to this. Either you are on the side of the oppressor or you on the side of liberating people, regardless of color. And I think if you're someone who's considering or worried about the racists in your business, then you still don't get it and you're perpetuating the problem. Yeah, I actually can't think of any major company that has been boycotted because they were in support of diversity or against racism and has suffered any really serious consequences. It's sort of like it is 
it is something that they could do and have the power to do, but that they've been afraid to do for reasons that I don't think balance sheets um, support. I think a lot of it has to do with inertia. Like if NASCAR can give up the Confederate flag and still think they're going to have an audience, I don't know what anyone else would be afraid of. Um, and a lot of it is just fear of disrupting the status quo. And that's great when the status quo works for you, but you can't say that and then also say, we stand with you in solidarity in these trying times, because you don't. Um, mm. Yeah. So I just, yeah, following on from that, in terms of something you just mentioned there, Ernest, about, you know, it doesn't have to be overt, you know, for you to, the, the, the racism that we're talking about doesn't have to involve KKK, you know, flags and whatever or confederate flags i'm interested from a media perspective because certainly here in the uk we have a, a media where subtle racism is quite pervasive and it's coded and you have to look out for it if you you know most people can see it but there are a lot of people for whom it gets folded into a general sense of uh jingoism or uh nationalism or even you know just a sense of uh classism you know we're very good here at folding racism into classism um uh i i i don't know how much that's true in the u.s i mean clearly there are the same sort of clearly you have your breitbarts and you have your you know overt right wingers but um how i guess the question i wanted to ask is is when you have a movement like that when you have a moment like this where you know there is a there is a clear um, sort of injustice that needs to be um, dealt with. How does that, how can that st also, that energy help with this more subtle, you know, underlying uh, stuff that sometimes gets, you know, just slips by because it's, in some ways it's quite sophisticated, you know, racism, but it's, 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 a, it's a coded way of still getting that sort of message across. I guess, Amber, from a media perspective, how do you, how do you feel about that? Um, well, I'll say that is um, the preferred form of racism of most of New York City, uh, and certainly the parts of Brooklyn that I have lived in. Um, I think that in a larger sense, um, thinking about inclusivity and all the things that that must include is a way that sometimes people kind of make a, an in run around that. Um, because then you're hitting on any kind of classism, you're hitting on any kind of um, elitism, even though your real target is we know you're saying and doing or perpetuating wildly racist stuff. Like, for example, I live, I mean, I'm not there now, but like two blocks away from um, this uh, famous like bar restaurant that opened up in Crown Heights, a traditionally black and Jewish neighborhood that had uh, bullet holes and they kept them up and they were sort of like this makes a street and had were serving like cocktails named after like um, murdered rappers and all kinds of shit it's like that kind of thing that's like we're just having fun we know it's not racist it's ironic um, and a really easy way to to have a conversation about that was to talk about like you are one alienating the community in which you sit and two making fun of something that is not to be made fun of, that is like not funny. There are real lives at stake. Um, and sometimes in those conversations that are 
on the surface about class and in the United States, kind of like race is a land through which things like class are are lived. Like you you have that before you get to that. Um, you can easily have conversations about in-group, out-group and inclusion and not alienating people. And that kind of gets to that matter. But I think the best thing to do quite often is to connect the dots between what they may be, what people think they're saying about class and point out that that's also something that you're saying about race and be as explicit as possible and kind of like rip off the mask, um, which people don't care for. Uh, and that leads to other difficult conversations. But I, I honestly think it's the only way around it. Otherwise, that cover will always be used and will always be there. I think we should just call it out, um, regardless of of waiting. I mean, if you're a white person and you hear and see these things and you sense that there's something going on that's not right, call it out. And I think the fear is, is that people fear this level of dejection or, or, or being excluded. But the truth of the matter is, is that you also have to do some self-searching and ask yourself, are these the people that you want to be affiliated with? Brands are always about affiliations. What makes a brand is reputation affiliation. So when we say that a company or a brand is, you know, has a racist history or a racist audience, that doesn't come out of the sky. It's based on the following that they embrace, the audience that they appeal to, and the people they market to. So if your company is invested in a predominantly white audience, then by default, it is racist. If it is feeding towards a male-centered audience, but claims to be for all, then it is invested in sexism. And so when people make these statements, it's a fact, and it's a fact based on the fear that you have. So it's really, when it comes to these conversations about racism and, and noticing it, you have to ask yourself as a white person or someone in a position of privilege, you have to ask yourself, when I am silent, what am I co-signing? Because silence is violence. But what am I co-signing? And what does that say about me? And what does that say about the people that I don't check? Because if, you, if, they, if they're saying this in front of you, you better believe that they're doing these things to other people. And that's how you get an Amy Cooper in Central Park calling the police. Because some of her white friends, which when I was reading the story about her in the New York Times, she's had a history of problems. And of course she does, because that kind of behavior don't just get birthed overnight. Races don't wake up accidental. There's no such thing, according to LL Cool J and his friends, accidental races don't exist. This is stuff that has happened and perpetuated because someone didn't ever sit them down and check them. And a lot of times they're not hanging out with black people and they don't have black friends that are going to be like, yo, that's racist. But for the white, well-meaning white people that say they mean well, it is up to you and it's your responsibility to get your white family members and white friends together and tell them and me to stop it before it becomes an Amy Cooper situation, before it becomes a George Floyd situation where, or a Karen situation or someone calling the cops. That's how things escalate. And that's part of the problem. In terms of the current, the current sort of protests, do you, are you hopeful that this, this energy can be sustained? And if, if you aren't, um, do you think there are things that, you know, the people listening, the brands that we talk to, the brands that we have the ear of, the businesses that we have the ear of, can do to ensure that this moment sustains itself 
and you know isn't usurped by the election in november or whatever it is whatever got the crazy stuff that's going to happen in this craziest of years um because i mean it you know clearly it's happened many many times before and you know this does feel like a special moment but you know i i certainly don't know if hope is you know the right reaction to be having right now well how do you feel about that um, I am old enough to be skeptical and to need to be skeptical, but I want to be proven wrong. Like I'm very, it's heartening to see the wide range of people in the streets, the sustained protests, the protests in the protests in places large and small. Right now I'm based in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and I've been kind of going back and forth to Brooklyn. Huge protests here in a small town in Pennsylvania that shut down the streets. Um, people still going out, people going out every day. Um, and organizing and people learning about organizing, that has been incredible uh, because that has like implications, not just for the now, but for reacting and preparing and getting communities together for what could come. Um, I'm definitely excited to see policy change and policy proposals coming out of this um, and to still see while there have been policy announcements um, the protests continue because there is kind of that sustained need for presence. Um, when it comes to what brands can do, I give money, keep giving money to the people who know what to do with it. Um, keep giving money, think about your messaging and what it is supporting, what it is and is not saying, but really it's kind of a put up or shut up moment and ideally put up and mainly shut up for most brands. Um, but give the money to the people that actually know what to do with it um, and get out of the way as much as possible. Like, don't turn every activity that you do into a commercial for you where you're patting yourself on the back for 75% of the dollars and then the other 25% goes to whatever cause. Um, that would be my only somewhat cynical advice, though I am hopeful, but yes. cynical. Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic personally. Um, I'm only 28, but I think for me, again, it's one of those things where I've, you know, have ever since I've been in college, I went to the University of Pennsylvania. I remember in 2012, it was it was it was uh, Trayvon Martin, and I was out there protesting in college and covering and talking to people, and I was 20, 21 around that time, and it was just like I felt like, oh, things are going to change. You know, people are really outraged. And then that wave went away. And here we are eight years later. Um, and there's another person after several countless people. And to me, I think, you know, what I would just hope for is that now we can start the real conversations, which should have been started, but we can really move past the surface level. Because what was frustrating about 2012 and 2014 and, and the years since was that there was always this calculated almost like you were negotiating and debating and everyone was treating it like a both sides issue. And that was always annoying. I never understood that. And I wasn't also in the position as someone who was younger to argue with the contemporaries at the time who always treat this like a, a debate on race, both sides. It's like, well, why is there both sides on racism? There's no both sides. And if there are both sides, it's the right side and the wrong side. There's no nuance there. 
But there was an obsession with over the years embracing and listening to white supremacists share their experiences and their perspective on why they are the way they are. And we were spoon-fed lies in the media and in the press about, you know, what, you know, what, why are people, why did people vote for Trump? And it's not about racism. It's like, no, it is about racism. It's just not overt as some people might feel, but there is racism that drove people to vote. There was anti-blackness that drove people to make those votes. And when you're looking at the issue at Brexit in you know, the UK, it's the same thing. People were driven, racism was a part of the ballot. People were driven and making the decisions they made by racism. Whether they want to admit it or not, we cannot ignore that. And I think there were two waves, 2012, it's always an election year, 2012, 2016, and now 2020. So we have seen in four cycles in our recent history, these reckonings and conversations around race. And I feel like every four years we get a little bit better. And I think 2020 is the year where we're in a new decade where we have to move past both sides. We have to move past being neutral. We have to call a thing a thing. And we really have to begin to punish and really um, crucify companies, brands, and individuals who are in the way. We, we have to do it. We can't do the, you can coexist. We have to call it out. We have to remove it because it is a tumor in this great human society that is trying to lean towards progress. I, I think white supremacy is a cancer, it's a tumor, and anyone who's supporting it is a part of that problem and not the solution. And in 2020, we can no longer coexist with racists. They're killing us. We can no longer coexist with white supremacy. We can no longer have a both sides situation. We're done with that. We did that in 2012. We tried to do the share the beer with the racist. We tried to do the table talks. We tried to do the dinners and the family debates. We're, we're past that. I mean, Black people weren't doing that, but we as a society have to stop doing that. So that has to go immediately. And in 2020, I am cautiously optimistic that the media would do a better job and not, you know, fanning, fanning the flames and creating this, this, this non-nuanced situation. There's no nuance to racism. Racism is racism and it has to go away. Well, um, Amber, Ernest, um, thank you so much for joining me. It's a privilege to, to hear you guys talk about this. Um, and uh, I hope everyone listening take those words to heart. Um, thank you for listening and watching. And please join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.